G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. G'day, I'm Rowan Connolly. I'm Mark Fine. We are here to wrap up a big round 14 of AFL football. How are you, Fine? Uh, you use the term big loosely. I know, I was sort of uh, <laughs> I, I was sort of biting my tongue a bit as I said it. It wasn't a great weekend of footy, let's be honest, but the scheduling, the scheduling's probably had a bit to do with it, hasn't it? Yeah, unfortunately it comes on a weekend where... A lot of people are immersed in World Cup, which is now available to everybody on free-to-air, thanks to the Optus muck-up and State of Origin on Sunday night. So comparisons will loom large, and unfortunately, this weekend, AFL uh, does not run... They don't make the Quinella in a three-horse race. That is not to say that there weren't uh, interesting results and some good games, perhaps most of them... Earlier in the round, we're going to drill down on all of them right now in the wraparound. Okay, well, let's start at the start. And it seems a while ago now, but Thursday night, uh, the second in this series of five Thursday night games in a row, and uh, I think it's fair to say a major upset. West Coast still uh, missing a couple of keys in Darling Kennedy, obviously. But Essendon played some outstanding footy early and then managed to hang on under the assault of a pretty wayward West Coast. Final scores 12 8 80, the Bombers defeating the Eagles 6 16 52. What'd you make of it? I tipped this. You did, Look, you did. And. We were treated to the best quarter of football for the round in the first quarter of football played yeah. for the round by Essendon. Essendon were actually brilliant in that first quarter. It was exciting to watch. Dash off the back line from the the expected suspects in Saad and McKenna. But Goddard played a very sturdy quarter, an important quarter. And up forward, there were various avenues to goal, all of them alive, all of them dangerous and varied from... Mitch Brown's marking to Josh Green's nuisance value and many good other ways to kick goals in between, Stringer being the sort of uh, icing on the cake. I, I thought that um, hats off to John Warsfold too. Now, he's a coach that doesn't get much kudos for his match day strategies, but I thought the matchups were really good too, in particular uh, Mitch Brown playing almost as a, a key forward defender on uh, Jeremy McGovern, and they really quelled his influence. And Mark Bagley, who's been a bit of a revelation as a defensive forward, he really quietened um, Shannon Hearn, and they were keys to the result. But when Essendon get going, the key to Essendon is, I think, their um, their pace. And it's when they use that defensively and, and the midfielders are able to work back defensively, help the defence, and then they generate that rebound through Sard and McKenna now, Saad has hit a rich vein of form. His last few games have been easily his best. Thought McKenna jumped on board as well. But that quick delivery into the forward line, it makes all the difference to the Bombers. But you've got guys jumping up left, right and centre at the moment. I think Matt Guelphie's been a, an outstanding pick-up for them. I think Kyle Langford again, played a really solid game, and he's a, a long-term midfield bet. And you're seeing um, a few options now at, at either end of the ground. I thought Kyle Hooker, too, was outstanding in defence. Look, uh, this game was always... Essendon jumped out and played a brilliant first quarter. So you're over in WA, and you know from what we've seen this year that West Coast are going to come back and come at you. And they did come at Essendon. Now, Essendon's midfield didn't necessarily stand up, but their defence did. And you mentioned Hooker. He was great. 
the ability for the bombers to, well, let's be honest, they didn't have the big problems, which were the two key forwards, mm. but that can sometimes be difficult in and of itself to know who your opponent is, to do the intel, and they tried everything, West Coast, McGovern went down there, everybody had a, had a go at it, and I full credit to Essendon for every player that started well, was able to maintain a level of um, output throughout the game that was what you need to win over there because they will come at you. And, yeah. And, you know, they huffed and puffed, but they did not blow the house down. I, I was just on the coaching. I was really surprised Adam Simpson didn't try and change a bit more. So that they brought McInnes in. He, uh, you know, looked promising early but couldn't he's, convert. Well, he's not, you know, his record says that he's not... A success as a forward. They they tried by set. He didn't work. Why at some stage though didn't they make it you know clear put the bigger guys on the interchange bench and, and make it a, a much smaller forward line? They just I, I thought there was a lack of sort of trying stuff to be perfectly honest. And I, I thought they played dumb footy too. They just kept bombing it in as yep. if Kennedy and um, Darling were both still there. Well, that that was the reason why I tipped Essendon because I just felt that going into the forward line they had become absolutely conditioned to kick into Darling or Kennedy. Mm. Now, in the first quarter, they tried to hit up Lacroix a couple of times. Well, you know, he's a good player, Lacroix, but the very best Lacroix, the one that killed Essendon at Eddie Head Stadium all those years ago. 12 goals. Yeah. Um, he's a light of other days. He's He doesn't exist anymore. Mm. So they really were just kicking it. They didn't even know who they were kicking it to half the time. They were just kicking it inside 50. All right, a quick question. Do we think West Coast are going to get through this month or so without the two keys in decent shape? Or is uh, uh, is there a worry the bottom's going to fall out of it? Oh, no, they're in big trouble. Ryan's exciting, but if, if exciting amounts to flying for unrealistic marks every quarter mm. and not really hitting the scoreboard, then yeah. he's not the answer. Yeah. Um, no, they don't have any four. They've got no... As you said, they didn't they didn't unearth anybody against Essendon on Thursday night. I don't know what forward line they'll go with with for their next game. I think they'll steady. I've just got a feeling that'll that'll be the sort of lesson they they need to learn in terms of structure. And really quickly, uh, is Essendon any chance of making the eight? Um, you know, these the problem with Essendon is you just fear that they're going to drop one that they shouldn't drop. Yeah, who's Carlton's only win? Yeah, you know, so. Yeah, they need to win at least six, if not seven, of the last nine. So the odds they're better are off. They're better off in big games playing good teams at the moment. Yep. All right. Let's move on to game number two, Friday night at Adelaide Oval. Uh, big ramifications for either side. Uh, a win was pretty critical, and it was Port Adelaide who got it in the end after trailing much of the evening. Um, the power eleven nine seventy five defeating Melbourne nine eleven sixty five. Ten points in the end. I think the power kicked. And I kept a record here. Six of the last seven goals of the game after the Demons got out to a 20-point break about halfway through the third quarter. So they'd be really disappointed they hang on, they didn't hang on. And um, I think uh, I thought I took it less as a aspersion on Melbourne's character because I thought they they were tough enough. They did, just didn't convert. I thought I said more about Port being able to mix it in terms of the harder stuff when they have to. So I, I'm suitably, I guess, reinforced that I think Port can actually do something this September. They nicked it, Port. Do you reckon? Oh, yeah, they stole the game. Look, I mean, Melbourne... Yeah, stats certainly said that. Well, Melbourne shot themselves in the foot in the first half. They had so many inside 50s, but, you know, unpressured inside 50s. Players from 60, 70 metres with options, and they just were choosing the wrong options. Hogan is no longer a target. He's playing strange football, well pointed out by Dermot Brereton on the Fox coverage that he now goes to the base of the pack front and centre like a rover. He's not flying for any ball, mm. so he's not a hit-up player. For all of that, Port Adelaide got in front in the last quarter, and Melbourne again started getting a lot of inside 50s, but they couldn't finish a game off. A bit disappointed with Petrarca, who started dynamically, <clears> but couldn't find a way to you know, be the match winner, which you thought he might be. And towards the end of the game, Melbourne were actually very unlucky. Was it Hannon? They, they had one player led and was hit up with a pass, mm. and he marked it. 
He stopped the ball, he marked it, and then it was knocked out of his hands or jarred. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that was a mark 25 out. Yeah. That was, with four umpires, I mean, we should not be getting these absolute clear mistakes happening. That, well, it, that was really unlucky for I me. think you made, um, there's an important point there. I, I felt like one of Melbourne's big strengths has been the uh, range of goal kickers they've got at their disposal, but... With Hogan down on form, I, th- I think Tom McDonald has become a bit isolated. And Petrarca, yeah, didn't do enough. Melksham, quieter than he had been, I think. Um, Hannon, I like, and, and he was okay, kicked a couple. But uh, I sort of expected more potency from that group of, of medium-sized forwards. So that's a potential worry for them. There's something going awry with their for- forward set up because they've finished the game with 68 inside 50s for nine goals. I mean, that's ridiculous. Um, Port, look, the midfield continues to, to get the job done for them. Ollie Wines, he's, last month has been absolutely superb. I think, you know, Rockcliffe is continuing to get on board for them. And I think their defence, and I will expand on this, so don't um, cut my lunch, their, their defence uh, was absolutely superb. So uh, I reckon they're getting an improvement all over the ground. Port, I, I like the way their season's shaping up. You know who was great for them? And, and it just proves that stats, and I think a lot of people uh, rely on stats to cobble together their max reports or their assessment of players throughout the year. Stats will not show this. Lindsay Thomas was very good for them. Mm. He flew courageously on two or three occasions. He, in the third quarter, got a knock-on to Wingard that resulted in a goal that was overlooked by the commentary team but was courageous and started a bit of a brawl, actually, because I think Jenner actually went to see if he was all right. That was misconstrued. Jenner himself was almost killed in the last quarter and came back courageously. But well, that was that was really unfortunate because he was groggy as when he chased the length yeah, of the field and gave away a gave, free gave kick. Gave that free kick away. Look, Melbourne... There's no need to panic, but these are the games that cost you top four. Yeah, yeah. So who, uh, I mean, it was could essentially be a, a joust for uh, last spot in the top four. Who, at their peak, is the better side, Port or Melbourne? I think Melbourne. You know what? I, I, this is probably a, a cop-out. I would say in Melbourne, Melbourne, Melbourne yeah, yeah. in Adelaide, Port Adelaide. Yeah, I but, still think Melbourne should have won that game. Yeah. They need to get more out of Dom Tyson. Yeah, yeah, and no, he hasn't made well. He's been dropped already yep. this season, so a bit nice to happen there. Yep. But I, I thought Simon Goodwin definitely took a glass half full approach afterwards, and I think he was right to do that because, at the end of the day, they um, to quote Gary Ayres, uh, they probably just haven't converted, and that's been the difference between winning or losing the game. Last one, how good is Daly Fritch? Yeah, he's good. He's good. good he's strong. He's yeah. got good hands. He's he's. BT likes him. I like him. Um, yeah, but you like him because he's a good player, not just because he's got a catchy-sounding name. Uh, all right, let's move on to our third feature game, and it was Etihad Stadium Saturday night, and an unexpected thriller, I think it's fair to say. I thought, um, I think most people thought uh, North would have rolled over the doggies given the injuries the doggies have had and just how low their morale would be, but they were terrific early, three goals up at half-time. In the end... Winning goal kicked in uh, literally the final minute of the game. The Roos got home by two points, 12-5-77 to 11-9-75. I think um, Luke Beveridge really unhappy with his side, the way they played the last couple of minutes, but a much better showing from them simply in terms of effort. And I think North will be really happy to... They're the sort of games they were losing last year, and they've won a couple of tight ones this year. Last year they lost... um, What's that figure? I keep quoting it. Six games, I think, by a total of 15 points or some ridiculous amount by that, uh, like that. Um, So they're now winning those sort of 50-50 games and a bit of resilience in the the mix at Arden Street. So good result for them, and they're back in the top eight. Yeah, on numbers they might make the eight, but they need to be a better team than the one that played on Saturday night to have a say in the eight. But they can regroup as long as they're getting four points along the way, as you mm. said. Not a bad thing. Isn't Aaron Norton a good footballer? I mean, this is his first year. Yeah. He's come out of nowhere. He was playing very good football when he got injured. Mm. I think he got injured maybe down at Mars Stadium, up at Mars Stadium. And 
had uh, a few weeks off and he was very good last night. Look, he's a good footballer and Marcus Adams is good. I know that we talk about their losses. but You've they missed are... the biggest plus out of this year for him. Which is? Ed Richards. Oh, and Gowers and Richards are both. Yeah, Gowers has been good too. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's funny. Yeah, I guess maybe... But I'm talking about guys that have just come back from the team this yeah, week. Because yeah. we keep on talking about they're losing players. And, yeah. But there actually are players coming back as well. Yeah. Do, um, you, th- yeah, do you think that, again, I know this question's been asked a lot though, are they a really good side down their luck or are they, you know, more and more do we feel like 2016 was a, a right place, right time premiership? It was a right place, right time. I mean, they really have lost this power surging midfield of theirs. Mm. You know, um, McRae was good. Well, Liberatore's been a... Massive yeah, loss but, in that regard. But remember, he's been up and down for various reasons since the grand. Yeah, yeah, but he was great in that year. He was a key factor. Uh, he's been, yeah, well, last year too, he's been sort of good, but no, not necessarily yeah, better he, than 2000. He hasn't consolidated himself as a, a great young player, has he? Like, no. I, I watch Crips for Carlton every week, mm. and every week yeah. there's. The bare minimum is excellent. Yeah, I think some of their lesser uh, role players that were doing really good jobs in 2016 aren't producing, you know, as well either, like uh, Shane Biggs as one, yeah. um, a guy like Josh Dunkley. You know, they all played really important yeah. roles. Clay Smith, you know, now on talent, he's a guy that should be in that side every week, yeah. but he's not. Just on the ruse, um, I think one thing that will um, not comfort because they won the game, but will make them feel a bit better about themselves is... I. I was really worried uh, about their long-term future for this season with the loss of Jared Waite because I think he's been really important support to Ben Brown. And when he hadn't been in the side, particularly, um, well, they beat Brisbane, kicked 21 goals, and Brown only had a couple. They lost down at Geelong, and Brown didn't get a sniff. Um, and I felt like the absence of Waite re- was really critical there. But... He started last night, Brown, kick five, without weight alongside him. So perhaps, you know, that they can find other ways until weight gets back in the mix. So are you saying weight loss is overrated? <laughs> we proved that. Yeah, yeah, well, uh, that's my that's my excuse anyway. Um, so what uh, do we feel like the ruse, uh, do we think they're going to hang on and make the eight? It's getting that, I know there's still, like, Nine games to go, or whatever. But you're looking, starting to look at runs home now. North's is particularly good. North and Hawthorne probably have the best uh, runs home of any side. I think. Yeah, look, GWS took a big um, blow to their chances on the weekend, and uh, we don't need to wait for the tribunal. Well, they landed a big blow on their own. Chances. Yeah, we don't need to wait for the tribunal <clears> to <throat> confirm that. So, look, North. Yeah, I think the numbers say that they might fall in. That's the spot that Essendon would be coveting. Yeah, I think it's, to be honest, I think whoever gets it, it's probably a, a token. Uh, I don't a, know. Not, no, yeah. for a team that was tipped to finish last, that's not a token result to, to make Oh, yeah, no, 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 absolutely, absolutely. Enjoy it. Absolutely. If, you, if you're talking in terms of uh, you know, doing something throughout the finals, yeah, yeah, I've still got this thing about Hawthorne, and we'll talk about their game in a sec. Uh, in fact, right now, in fact... Yeah, let's talk about it now. So Hawthorne um, beat Gold Coast in a really ordinary game. I was going to swear then, but no, it's kids' show. Um, they ended up running over the top of the Suns, as everyone does against the Suns now, after the Suns were really good in that first quarter. 13-18, um, 96 to 5-13-43. And the Suns absolutely dominated that first term. But again... Look, they just are they incapable of playing even two quarters of footy? I wrote, I wrote down uh, at quarter time, the inside fifties was shortly, um, no, not long into the second quarter, the inside fifties were twenty two to twelve the Gold Coast way. Um, by half time, it was twenty seven twenty six to Hawthorne. So in the second half of the second quarter alone, it was uh, fifteen inside fifties to four. And and they just disappeared. Once again, went goalless in a game, the Suns, in two quarters. And two in the last, you know, 5-13. They just hoist the white flag, don't they? And Hawthorne, this is my point about the Hawks, not overly impressive. Their conversion was poor. But if you have a look at their record, they keep, you know, they've won some big victories this year over decent sides. They beat Collingwood or beat Collingwood not 
playing as they have recently. They beat Geelong. Um, they ran three of their losses, uh, West Coast, Sydney, and who's the other one? Richmond. They've all run to within 13, 15 points. Yep. I think Hawthorne, of the teams we're talking about sneaking into eighth, has the capacity to do the most damage. But what, what do you make of the game? Yeah, they, it's not a great advertisement for the game. No. You yeah, know, this is... We are now having games that seem to be symptomatic of where football is at the moment, and the fact that we've got a team, Gold Coast, in the 121-year history of league football from 1897 till today, no team has amassed four last quarters in a row for a total of 0.2 or less. In other words, they are the worst... That is the worst month of four quarter, last quarters in the history of the game. Mm. And they come out and really... Oh, I got 2-4 this week. Yeah, but they had two quarters again in which they didn't kick goals. Yeah, yeah. And this is... And this is now going to be a regular occurrence for this side, probably. Their problem is that they're key forward is not going to be there next year. He's not going to hang around to be party to that. Take Tom Lynch out of that team. You know, I just don't know. I, I just... I, that they It's barely sustainable, honestly. No, it was, Who's going to go and watch that? No, it was really, really disappointing. Um, the the fact that they can... I mean, they, they look really good in the first quarter. Um, but, the, yeah, the disappearance of that effort so quickly, I think really, really bad omens there. All right, let's talk about another... Ordinary game, probably not quite so ordinary as the one we just spoke of, but a uh, pretty routine win for GWS up at the Gabba over Brisbane, 16-13-109, defeat of the Lions, 12-10-82. Um, and really, all anyone was talking about, and I know you want to expand on this, was uh, the KOing of Harris Andrews by Jeremy Cameron and the obvious ramifications for the Giants, but pretty... Routine victory by yeah, them, wasn't well, it? Not, look, at half-time it looked to be going to script, except for what had happened earlier. Yeah. And Brisbane launched at them. And, you know, in the first part of the last quarter, Brisbane were coming at them good and proper. And You didn't feel like they were going to win it. Yeah, though. yeah, I thought Did that you? they could. Because mm. I'll tell you what happened. There were two opportunities for GWS to end the discussion. And they both fell to Patton, who dropped... Terrible marks. He he had a mark in the beautiful kick to him, log kick in the goal square that it was it had two hands around that he dropped, and then he a hit up fifteen metre lead that he dropped, and he started thinking, well, hang on. So what happened? There must have been six Brisbane players just you know piss farting around with the ball in the back pocket. There were six of them. There were no GWS players, mm. and in the end, it slipped out of one of their hands to. The wrong man, he got it to Kelly, and Kelly slotted home a, a dagger. But, you know, Brisbane, they came at them. They don't really know how to finish the deal. Their problem is that, you know, Hodge is a very good player, but he does noticeably tire. So he was on the bench in the last quarter. No Harris Andrews. Kelly was great for GWS. Well, they've, how, got, they've got some limitations, though, don't they? Well... They, to, they don't have a ruckman. Well, addressing what well, Lob, Lob will be back. Well, but uh, not for a month. Yeah. A month and a half. What worries me about them is the same thing that worried me about them last year. They, there's a certain lack of killer instinct with them, I think. They, they don't look like a side that really goes to the jugular. Don't, yeah, don't you think? Yeah, they don't know how to. They don't know how to. They know how to play bursts of brilliant football, mm. sometimes longer or sometimes less, but they don't know the key. The parts of a game that are, you know, absolutely the moment where you put a team out of its misery or you end the game. Yeah. They don't seem to have that on-field leadership. No, no, no. They've tried to sort of focus on being more ruthless, I think, and, and uh, you know, less of that frenetic ball movement. And it sort of backfired on them earlier in the year. I thought they lost their attacking bent. They've got that back. But there's something. It, it, it still looks to me, GWS, like a jigsaw puzzle, a puzzle, puzzle, <laughs> where the where the pieces just don't. There's a yeah, piece right. missing. No, you're you know? right. And maybe it's you know, look, they have had they've had injuries to a number of key players, so maybe it's no, no more than that. But yeah, they're not the sort of team you'd stake your life on in a, a cutthroat final. You know, I was critical of Ryan Griffin earlier on in the year. Yeah, I thought he was just. 
you know, benefiting from others' good work, but he's better than that. He did some couple of great things on the weekend. Yeah. I mean, that's a good... Just to finish off on this, I mean, Brett Deledio was playing great footy for him, and then he yeah. got injured. You know, they, they cannot seem to get continuity either of personnel, but uh, consistency of sort of effort and balance of offence and defence. I don't know why when you say offence you feel like you have to say defence, but uh, I just did. All right, and the trifecta, last game of the round and the trifecta of ordinary games, I think it's fair to say, was completed uh, Sunday afternoon at the MCG with the uh, traditional no matter where they are on the ladder clash, which we sort of say tongue-in-cheek now because I've got to say a lot of Collingwood-Carlton games of recent times have been pretty ordinary Games of footy, and this was another one. The Pies just doing enough. 11-13-79, defeating Carlton 9-5-59. You know, credit to both teams for one thing, and I we discussed this during the week on the um, our audio podcast, that we wonder whether there's any rivalry between these two clubs anymore, that the players wouldn't know it. Mm. There was a real undercurrent of nastiness in this game. There were brawls and spot fires, a half-time brawl, and Daisy Thomas angry about something, and there was some real Carlton Collingwood feeling about it. What there wasn't was any football consistently to match it. There was a lot of endeavour by Carlton. Kerno kept them alive with presenting and with, you know, his ability to make very good, his ability to mark and be a target. Cruiser was good in the first half. He didn't play in the second half. Well, that's... Um, they'd, we, they'd been unlucky. They lost Casbolt in the warm-up. Well, that's what I was going to say. I mean, in, in terms of injuries, the thing about the Blues is, and I wrote during the week about, you know, this ridiculous thing that they should get rid of Brendan Bolton. This is a long-term mission, you know, and they're, they're barely... They're probably not even halfway through it. But sides with this fragile list can't afford the sort of injuries to the sorts of players they have. Yeah, of course. And it happened again today. Casbolt in the warm-up, Cruiser second half. Uh, Ploughman now. So under those circumstances, I think to keep hanging in there was a pretty reasonable effort. And from Collingwood's perspective, they really relied on three or four players to be everywhere men. Mm. Side bottom, great in the last quarter. Dugowie, further up the field earlier on in the game, was fantastic. Then had to go forward and sort of win it with... uh, You know, he presented, got a goal, and he was the the key forward. Um, Hoskin Elliott mm. played very deep and got a couple of goals in the goal square, but they were good marks. And how? You know, there wasn't a spread of there wasn't a spread of output by Collingwood. No, Stevenson dangerous again, but you know there was not a spread. It was a bit of a worry. Again, I'll, I'll ask that question: Are there absolute highs, the pies, good enough to match the best of Richmond, Sydney? No, no, I, I tend to think not. As no. well, you know, um, who's their former, the former Melbourne backman that they've got? Lyndon uh, Dunn. Yeah, he was exposed today. Yeah, they're, they're, they're there. They have their burst, don't they? But I, I'd still, I wouldn't be tipping them against the Swans in a no, big I, game. I, I don't think they're fans. I think, the Tigers I think their fans are just happy and pleasantly surprised each week by four points and climbing up the ladder to oh, see well, how far it goes. Yeah, I mean, look, given where things... You know, we, we all sort of got sick of tipping them to make the eight and jumped off, and, of course, now it looks like they will make the eight. Murphy's tipping law, I call that. But, um, yep. yeah, just in terms of uh, further honours in September, I think uh, just making up the numbers for mine. All right, that is uh, round 14, all done and dusted in terms of analysis. Time to move on now to hot... Or not. Okay, we all know how this works. Three likes or dislikes out of the weekend's footy. Well, not just weekend, is it? It's Thursday and Friday as well. Uh, I'm kicking us off with a hot, very hot, scorching in fact. His name, Devin Smith of the Essendon Football Club. What an outstanding recruit. I reckon I can't think of a better recruit uh, from another senior club this year. He's been outstanding. He's been that consistent among their best players every week. I literally can't think of a poor game that he's played. He was terrific again in that win against the Eagles. Uh, He's the number one tackler in the AFL, um, which I think would surprise a few people, but he's averaging more than eight tackles per game. Um, He's great near goals. That was sort of the way he made his name with GWS. 
Uh, kicked three goals again on Thursday night as well as had 23 disposals. He's going to win the Eastern best and fairest, barring injury, by the length of Flemington straight. That's how good he's been. But most importantly, I reckon he's really set the example for the other Essendon mids about the level of work rate and level of aggression and level of hardness at the contest you need. Because to be honest, that's been an area Essendon has been deficient in for ages, even earlier this season. And I think now the, the Heppels and the Merritts, even a guy like Zach Merritt, they are learning from Devin Smith's example. He has been absolutely outstanding, fantastic uh, pickup for the Bombers. I can't speak highly enough of him. It flies in the face of the modern thinking that you need to be six foot four in the old to be a midfielder. Yeah, yeah. You don't have to be a huge... The Patrick Cripps theory. You, you don't have to be a huge midfielder. Yeah. But he's getting the job done at... Uh, Around 180 centimetres. Yeah. No, he's an absolute, absolute gun. All right, your turn. I'll go for a hot as well, and um, I hate wine. I just don't like drinking wine. Uh, you know, do you drink wine? Yeah. yeah. I'm not a wine drinker. I think it tastes like either vinegar or salad dressing. So when I go to South Australia, I avoid all the wine. <laughs> okay, you're dr- drinking the wrong ones, obviously. No, I just don't like it. But where is this yeah, going? Well, there's a South Australian wine or ah, wines that... Okay. They did themselves proud this week. They recommitted to the club and they showed that that commitment was not just contractual or financial by literally, you know, being the man for the hour because it, it was Ollie Wines that got them that win against Melbourne. He was brilliant in the last quarter and it was a great week for Oliver Wines and the Port Adelaide Football Club. Really disappointed you couldn't use the, you know, like a good getting better with age analogy yeah. but you do as you would expect i'm going to give my now weekly hello to jane wines ollie's mum hi jane hope you're well and um melbourne happy they took tumpus instead of wines probably not no probably not given they gave tumpus to port adelaide and he's long well, gone well in fairness i watched jimmy tumpus play some uh footy at a tender age and he was very very impressive but he's no ollie wines it is fair to say he's or no I, longer on an afl list it's fair to say. no well doesn't mean he can't come back all right, I'm going with the knot now, and this one's a bit more, uh, what's the word, nebulous perhaps, but my knot is the cult of AFL boosterism. Now, we spoke on the show last week about the World Cup. We love the World Cup. A lot of people love the World Cup, and at this time, every four years, AFL, unfortunately for some people, does have to take temporarily a back seat. That doesn't mean the people that don't like soccer, or even the people that do, there's this, there has to be this sort of panic which makes them overly inflate anything that happens in the AFL world and reach for comparisons that are probably ill-fitting and pump up games that, frankly, are OK but not sensational. To wit, the Friday night Port Adelaide-Melbourne game. Yeah, look, it was a reasonably tight finish. Second half, not bad. The first half, I wouldn't cross my backyard to watch that crap. It was terrible. It was four goals apiece. It was a series of rolling scrums. Neither of them could kick a goal. And I tuned on the various TV and radio networks after the game. People are going on like, oh, this is the best game I've seen all year. Seriously? If that's the best game you've seen all year, then footy really is in trouble, Finey, because have we lowered our standards that much that a game like that is now looked at as a measuring stick? I tell you, I thought it was rubbish, that first half. Well, that leads on to my next hot or not, and that is the whole round was not hot. (laughs) And that could have been predicted before the round was played. Look, the AFL can't afford to have a week of poor football and badly matched games, you know. I mean, especially during the bye, especially during the World Cup, especially in a State of Origin weekend. All of these were known facts. Somebody must go through that fixture week by week before it's released and surely they would have said West Coast Essendon hmm, pre-season didn't look great Port Adelaide Melbourne maybe but not you know maybe Hawthorne Gold Coast no Brisbane GWS no interest Western Bulldogs North Mm. You might have thought that, oh, maybe not. Yeah, pre-season you wouldn't have thought it. <laughs> no, no, probably not. And, and really, they're not attra- attractive. They're, 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 you know, they're off-Broadway. So far off-Broadway, they're not in New York. And Carlton Collingwood, light of other days, surely somebody would have looked at that round and said, this round, 
We can't afford to have this round. Well, this was... All, I, look, I have some sympathy for the fixtures. There's a lot of logistics to get into it. But when you're spreading the games thin, you've got a six-game round, it just seems a weird time to me to mix Thursday nights into this. And I know that goes to giving sides requisite yeah. rest before the following round, and et cetera, et cetera. But it's been, definitely been spread too thin, the fare we've had over the last couple of weekends. To appropriate... George's father on Seinfeld. Mm. This round, this is not my kind of round. <laughs> All right, uh, I'm bringing us home. Oh, you're bringing us home. I'm almost bringing us home with a hot. And I did rubbish this game just previously, but one good aspect of it for me was Port Adelaide's defence. Now, I don't know how long this group of fine young men can remain unheralded, finey. But they are outstanding. Last year, they were good enough last year. Port conceded the second fewest points of any side in the competition. They haven't quite got the same record in terms of points conceded this year. I think they're about fifth or sixth. But on Friday night, under fierce bombardment, they were terrific. Tom Jonas, particularly, outstanding game. But Tom Cleary really liked his effort. Dougal Howard, who, to most people, could be Doogie Howser from that show about the kid doctor. Um, Darcy Byrne Jones, hello to the Byrne Jones uh, parents. Well, he hasn't missed a game since making his debut. Outstanding. Riley Bonner, really uh, gone to another level again this year. Dan Houston, you know, named on the interchange bench, also contributed. Like, seriously, the half a dozen of those guys could uh, walk through Burke Street, maybe not Rundle Mall, but Burke Street. People wouldn't know who they were, but they're outstanding. They're a great unit. And I think whoever the defensive coaches at Port, they've done an outstanding job. And proof of that, uh, 68 inside 50s Melbourne got. I, I don't know how often you would see a side have 68 50s and not win the game. 68 inside 50s not win the game. But they reduced Melbourne to nine goals. An outstanding defensive effort. Um, and I, they are one of the best back lines in the league, regardless of how where they stand on the points conceded table. And credit to the likes of Ollie Wines and Powell Pepper, who work hard to get back. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, bring us home. Hello to Jan Wines, whoever you are. Jane. Okay. Uh, Okay, not hot. This is pretty obvious, but I want to go into a few reasons why Jeremy Cameron and what he did on the weekend was not only not hot, but was appalling. Look, every footballer understands, and we understand in this 360-degree game the enormous courage it takes to back into a pack. You can watch it every week. Uh, there was a Collingwood player, one of their younger guys, might have been Appleby, got crunched right towards the end of the game. But he got crunched sort of fairly, you know. He knew he had to back back. He got the knee in the, you know, right in the small of his back. And he, you saw him wince and he went down, but he got back up and life will go on. Um, what Jeremy Cameron did, and he, I, I do not like the idea of interviewing a player on field afterwards so he can start to make his defence, which is what happened on the game on the weekend with Fox Football. So he said, look, I'll just go for the ball hard. I, 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 you know, I didn't want to... That's the last thing I wanted to do was hurt Harris. You know, it was really unfortunate. I was going for the ball. That's how I go for it. Harris Andrews came out and sort of shook his hand. and It seemed as though there was some day taunting and that might in some people's minds, warrant a, a three or four weeks of suspension. That was disgraceful what he did. That was Tony Lockett but three foot off the ground. I mean, that was a guy who was frustrated because he couldn't make the contest and mark the ball, and he cocked his elbow and he went through, and he, I mean, it seems that Harris Andrews has not got a broken jaw, but he could have absolutely taken that kid's jaw, you know, any amount of damage. Mm. It's only... Th- through good luck that Harris Andrews does not have serious injuries. And every defender, every player of Andrews is one of the best in the game now. Has the right to go back with his eyes on the ball and go for a contest, a mark or a spoil, and know that within the rules of the game he can cop a knee or whatever, but not a flying elbow to the head. That was disgusting. All right, so cut to the chase. Eight weeks. But he's not going to get eight weeks. But he should get eight weeks. Why shouldn't he get eight weeks? Well, I, I would argue because of the um, the precedents. He can't get eight weeks when other even ugly incidents in this era don't get eight weeks. But there's no precedent. Well, when was the last time we saw anyone get eight weeks? I mean, we saw Barry Hall got, I think, seven for Brent Staker. Yep. Even that was ten years ago. Yep. There might be one we're not remembering here off the top. But, I mean, oh, they're well, pretty well, few and far between. You know, we, we had... Um 
Uh, who was the guy that um, damaged the long? Playing for his second club. Uh, Dean Sullivan. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he got seven, yeah. I think, for... Uh, so I find, quite, I find they're quite similar. Yeah. That's an elbow that's going into a contest, but yeah. it's not off the ground. But that's just flying in with an elbow into somebody's yeah, head. Yeah, no, look, put it this way. I, I, I wouldn't be horrified if it got seven, but I yeah. would be amazed if it got seven. I just don't think they think like that. Now, I'll, I'll say... I'll, I'll say one, I want to say one thing. Well, I want to say one thing first. Go for it. You finish off to your topic. Okay, go for it. I would just say, not defending Jeremy Cameron, but remember that, yes, he had time. He had time. But I would say... People talk about premeditated. Premeditated in terms of having about one second to go, I'm not going to get to this contest. Bugger it. I'm going to go bang. No, that is not a heap of premeditation. It's not like, I'm just saying, put this in context. It's not like planning a murder, is it? No, and but that doesn't happen on do. I know, but it's like when people say premeditated, it's still a really short space of time. And I, don't, I don't think you should forget that. All right, so uh, when people talk about premeditated on a football field, we often talk about, you know, two players squaring up and, mm. uh, you know, remember uh, when he was still a Carlton Yaron, one of his final acts, you know, chitting somebody. And that's sort of considered intentional and all the, all the overlay of the premeditation and intentional. But let's be honest, that's two blokes angry at each other, niggling at each other, having a fight. Mm. Not one guy with his eyes on the ball doing what had him best on ground the week before against Essendon. Yeah. Now, Jeremy Cameron comes flying through the air. Mm. I've never seen a footballer cock his elbow and just go through a pack and not hit anybody. Yeah, yeah, he wanted to hurt him. He got him exactly where you get somebody with an elbow, right on the corner, flush on the corner of the jaw. Yeah. That's what he... There was only one place his elbow was going. As I said, no footballer's ever flown for a mark, elbow first, just flown for the pack and didn't touch anybody. Yeah. And he got him flush where he wanted him. Yeah. Well, if that is not a sinister, serious, dangerous act against a totally unsuspecting ball player, I don't know what is. And to me, that deserves as much as Holland Stoker. I reckon he'll get five down to four. All right, now, um, you're angry, I can see that. And anger is good, fine. Anger, as Rage Against the Machine say, is a gift. And uh, Happy it's, birthday. It's a gift you're going to use now because get ready, folks, for this Anna anger to be channeled into an appropriate direction in finally the rant off. Righto, Finey, this season, for various reasons, is starting to really annoy me. Don't tell me we're going again with the goal review. No, 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 I'll lay off that this week, only because there weren't any they stuffed up remarkably. Protected area? No, no. Unprotected area? Well, just count me in, you'll find out. <laughs> it could only be three, two, out on the four. I'm pissed off about having to resort to the same material every second week for these rants, Finey. Well, do something different, I hear you say. Well, I would, but there's been stuff all decent footy to write about lately, and how can you ignore the continued trashing of our once great game? Yep, you guessed it. I'm banging on about kicking for goal again. Seriously, it's pathetic. And just when you think you've reached new lows, up bobs another contender for the couldn't hit the side of a barn from Point Black Range with a beach ball award. Did you see the Hawthorne Gold Coast game on Saturday? All I was missing was every time someone lined up for goal, the Benny Hill theme music. They missed them from right in front, from the slightest of angles, from 15 metres out, from 20 metres out. At one stage, both sides had kicked 12.28. That's a date from a history thesis on the Middle Ages, not a scoreline from a supposed AFL standard game. And don't give me this more fatigued rubbish. There's so many stoppages in games these days. The forwards have got time to check the third at Doobin, compare notes with their opponent on their man buns, and pop out for a cuppa before they actually touch the ball again. What the hell is going on? These guys grow up learning how to kick, mark and handball, but once they get to AFL level, it seems that's all a bit too simple. 
Talk about not seeing the forest for the trees. AFL players now can tell you where they need to be standing for zone A, B or C at the kick-in. Zones D, E and F for a stoppage. They can give you their beep test and bench press records to the decimal point. But put them in front of the goals with a Sharon in their hands and it's like they've been asked for a 10,000 word essay on agrarian reform in post-industrialised Europe. It's not that hard, guys. You get the ball and you kick it between those two big wide posts. Give it a try sometime. And here's the bonus. Kick goals instead of points occasionally and you won't have to remember where to stand for all those bloody kick-ins. Mm, it's true. It is true. What is going on? You know what I put it down We can to? do it better than these guys. Well, I sort of agree with the... Dacos said the ball was a bit smaller. and But is it? when they use one ball... <laughs> I mean, do you, you played footy, didn't you? Yeah. So you used one ball for the game. And sort of, you got a feel for it. And it, it softened. It became, I don't know, constantly having new balls. They're hard and they're slippery, I'm telling you. Okay. Did you play footy? But, but with one ball, we didn't have nine balls up by Well, we only played one ball at John Gardner High School because that was all we could afford. One ball for about my entire stint there, which was the best 15 years of my life, Fonny. All right, on that really ordinary pun, uh, I'm going to count you in. Three, two, one, rant. This weekend, I decided to try and forget football for a bit because it wasn't a great weekend fixture-wise and immersed myself in other activities. That lasted about three minutes. You see, my weekend is carefully planned around football. Not that football is essential, but it gives me space and freedom from my wife and family that I need. For example, Saturday nights are verboten. You don't organise anything with me because there's football on. And for the last 14 years I was covering it on radio and now still covering it on footyology, so I need to watch it. You certainly don't invite me out to a friend's birthday party. But that's what happened this Saturday night. All that I did was I spent the first half of North Melbourne Footscray looking at my mobile phone before it ran out of power and then trying to get scores from elsewhere on the table. Luckily, Rowan Connolly was there, able to tell me that North had scrambled home. To be honest, birthday cakes and speeches are not for me, not when there's football on. And then on Sunday, it's very important that I claim the couch, claim a table in front of the couch, have my lunch on that table watching the football and no one disturbed me. Now, luckily, my family are not huge football fans and my wife wouldn't know the difference between Collingwood Juventus or a man escaping from prison or a basketball umpire. So, I was lucky because on NITV there was something called homespun footy or I don't know what it was, but... I had my lunch watching Clarence take on North Launceston in a top-of-the-table clash in Tasmanian football. For the standard, it could have been the bottom-of-the-table clash or no table clash at all. It could have been a practice match or a scratch match or it could have been a women's game with girls with short hair because it was bloody horrible to watch, but at least I had the couch and I had my food in front of me. I still had time to kill and I wasn't handing over the couch to the kids. No way, no how. So there was some tack cup that I quite enjoyed. Vic Country versus Vic Metro. Well, I don't know how that works out. I don't know where the lines of delineation are, but I found myself barracking for the outer suburbs and wanting a draw. And then it was back to NITV for a wonderful game of NEFL football between the Northern Territory Thunder and the team from Canberra. Played apparently in zero degrees with zero fans and zero interest from me, but at least I kept the couch. And then finally Carlton Collingwood came on. And you know what? Here's the sad part of this story. I kept the couch all afternoon, right until 6.30 or thereabouts. I watched Tasmanian football, underage football, a game in freezing temperatures from Canberra. And you know what, Carlton Collingwood? Yours was the worst bloody game of the lot. Yeah, no, well done. I wondered when you were going to get there, but it did uh, it did arrive at a point. Yes, I was at that function with you, and a very happy 50th birthday to Lulu. But that... unacceptable. I mean, Lulu's married to <laughs> Howard Cotton, who works for AFL.com.au. Yeah. That, that birthday party had to be held out of season. Well, we knew we were going to get access to the uh, the best of the AFL's app, finally, which uh, used to be a cue for jokes 
back in the day. I'd like to add something briefly to that discussion. I, in fact, uh, today saw a better game as well than Collingwood-Carlton, uh, and that was the Community Cup between the Rock well, Dogs that's a, that's a great and thing. the Megahertz played at Victoria Park. And please explain why. I know it's a, it's a great game. A thousands go there. It's, it's very much in your bailiwick of sort of left-wing musical muso football alliance, but there's a really strong connection that will always be part of the Connolly family. Oh, well, I, I'm lucky enough to present the Steve Connolly medal named in honour of my late brother, Steve, um, for the best player on the ground. And uh, I take my duties very seriously and uh, I consult a number of uh, learned authorities on rock dogs and megahertz history. Anyway, this year's game was an epic finding. It was uh, a goal of difference most of the way and uh, megahertz kicked a really late goal Went back to the centre with about 30 seconds left. Couldn't get the one to clinch it. And the Rock Dogs emerged on top by three points in the end. Winner of the Steve Connolly medal for 2018, Mikey Kale, who in fact writes a great music column for the Herald Sun. So well done, Mikey. I know you've aspired to that honour for some time. And you know what? Let's just add a minute onto the program. What's the latest status with streakers and the Community Cup? Yes, well, uh, the Victorian uh, police, finally, they might have got a little heavy-handed here. The game has been at Victoria Park the last two years. Last year, as is the norm, the Community Cup, there were half a dozen odd streakers, all of whom apparently got arrested. So this year, uh, prepared for this eventuality, the streakers came out wearing bodysuits with merkins attached so no one's sensibilities would be offended. And, of course, that inspired the genuine article and a young lady went for a bit of a streak to the delight of everyone but for the Victorian constabulary who pounced on her finally and whisked her away. Um, but uh, hopefully there can be a benefit gig to pay her fine. I don't know what's going on with the Victorian police force finally, but uh, something along the lines of could be using their time uh, better served pursuing crooks comes to mind. A little humorless, but uh, a funny story. I would have liked to see not only the clad streakers, but f find out where you buy a Merkin in 2018. <laughs> I don't, I don't which know. is, of course, a pubic hair wig. A toupee for the, a toupee for the um, downstairs. Yeah. I think Pearl Jam wrote a song called Merkin, but uh, we can discuss that at a later time. As usual, we've descended into complete drool. So it's time to wrap up. Uh, hopefully a bigger and better round 15. Hope your team won. I hope... Uh, what are you doing? I think I know what you're doing. But it's time for us to depart and say, may your football be good football and good night.